Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have really the best guy in the world for helping you build muscle, Ben Pakulski. You can go to his website, Ben, P-A-K-U-L-S-K-I.com. He is the founder of Ben Pakulski Fitness International, the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, and the Muscle Intelligence and MI40 Brands. He's also a former Mr. Canada and IFBB professional bodybuilder, but he's most known nowadays for his intelligent approach to building maximum muscle in a healthy way. He's helped over 100,000 men and women change their body and their life with his methods. Welcome to the show. Oh, that's like the best intro I've ever heard, and I think uh, you're setting a really <laughs> high standard here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to uphold it, but I'll certainly do my best. <laughs> that's awesome. You, you, I, when, if people look you up, some of these photos of you at your height, it, it just, it's, when I see these photos, and I met you in person, but I see these photos and I go, "Oh, oh my God! How? 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 how why? I was obsessed. So- I'll, like, I, I, yeah, I was. I was definitely obsessed. I'll, I'm very transparent about the fact that, um, you know, when I started uh, this journey to build muscle, I was 15 years old and I was skinny and. Um, I just loved it and I developed an obsession and whether or not it was a healthy obsession, I'm not sure. It wasn't necessarily an obsession to look a particular way. I don't know that I was ever attached to the vanity of it, which uh, sounds obscure from a guy coming, you know, coming from a guy who made his living on stage in his underwear, but, uh, it wasn't ever about the vanity. It was about this daily attachment to, uh, overcoming the demons inside of me, right? Overcoming the laziness, overcoming the lack of discipline and just really being in love with the process. And, um, you know, the, I was obsessed and I got up to a hundred and, or sorry, 321 pounds was my biggest. And I was, that was like, you know, six, 7% body fat when I was. Um, so I was pretty big. Um, and you get there and you realize that it's, it's not quite what you thought it was going to be, right? It's, it's this, um, uh, I think proverbial mountain that we all want to climb and we get to the top of the mountain, we realize it's lonely and uh, it's not necessarily where we want to be. Like a lot of people who make a ton of money and you set the goal to make a hundred million dollars and you make it and you realize that you're the same um, kind of insecure, lonely person that you were before. And that was really my realization uh, at, at the top of my peak in bodybuilding. I got to the best stage in the world, you know, the Mr. Olympic contest and walked on stage fulfilling my childhood dream and then realized that was no different than I was when I was the you know, five years before, 10 years before when I had started, I, I hadn't developed the confidence and it didn't make me any different to the people around me. So I was that now kind of the dissension of the mountain and starting to realize to go back and, and uh, appreciate the journey and become the greatest version of myself and become this, um, you know, strong and disciplined man of, you know, values and integrity and morals that uh, I didn't really acknowledge along the way, right? I kind of stepped over people along the way and didn't acknowledge that the true victory is in the journey. It's in the person you become in the process. It's not in the end result. There's so much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> no, this is, <laughs> this is really juicy. So I want to get to the inside stuff that you realized didn't, you know, your body didn't alter that and you were still where you were, even though you got there. But aside, but, but before we get into that juicy stuff, just on a blow our minds level, can you just tell us when, I mean, okay, so if you're six or 7% body fat and you're like three pushing three bills or you're, then 
then what is that day like? Tell me how, like, can you just give us a rundown of the level of, you know, (laughs) not only just food, I want to hear a brief menu on what a day looks like. And I also want to look at like, what was a gym day like too? I mean, because that's a lot to achieve that. So just tell us, you know, break that down for us so we can look at what would someone have to do to get there? Sure. Um, And now I don't want to glamorize what I did. Like, I don't know that I did it in the best way possible. Um, I just know that I did what I did and that worked for me at the time. And if I were to do it again, it would be different. Yeah. Well, I would, if I did it again, I would do it in a different way, but it was, um, you know, every morning, 5.30 AM, I'm at the gym, uh, doing probably 30 to 50 minutes of, of aerobic exercise and often some core training and some stretching and, um, just kind of get the body moving. I get home and I'd have a, you know, two meals, two large meals, and I could tell you what those are in a minute. And I'd head back to the gym, typically around 10 a.m. Um, you know, 10 to 12, I'm training, and then uh, again back home, two large meals, often a nap, and then back to the gym by 6 p.m. and doing a, a smaller workout, which is usually 60 minutes, and then home and kind of preparing for the next day. So you know, it was my profession, so I didn't have another job. And so it's about three uh, workouts a day. I mean, you're at you're yeah, you're, you're there five, pretty much. Five, yeah hours a day, <laughs> five, five oh. and a half hours a day typically. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, oftentimes I'd, there would be posing in between posing in the evening or posing in the morning before or after the workout. And, um, so posing is a big part of our sport that now has kind of been put on the back burner, but I think it's a massive consideration and it. It sounds like the vanity of it, like you got to show off, but it really is the ability to connect and feel your body and, um, you know, be kind of becoming one with, with the muscles so that when you go to the gym, your ability to connect with them and actually train them is, is at a different level. Um, Can you so define training- that? Can you define posing? Cause see, I, you know, most sure. of us would just think it's standing there in that pose we see you guys all do tan well, in a speedo, but well, can is, you give us is, a little it, bit more? Yeah. yeah. It's also kind of methodically and rhythmically moving through different positions and making sure that every muscle in your body is tensely contracted so that if I'm standing on stage, I look you know, ultimately like a statue from every angle and there's never an angle that the judge could look at me and say, oh, look, he doesn't look at there. Because you know, ultimately we're being um, assessed against the best physiques in the world. So every position matters and every direction matters. And, um, you know, trying to find the angles that most um, complement your body um, making sure your waist is always in check and tight and you know that kind of that part of the sport has kind of been lost a little bit now too and I was guilty of that as well and um, you know there was a point in when I when I turned professional bodybuilder um, that they they stopped judging posing as much and I think that's when the sport started to really take a so wait, what are they judging turn. then you know they're, so- they're judging symmetry they're judging okay. um, balance they're judging overall muscular development but they're also judging condition so how lean you are how how well and defined your muscles are and how much you can kind of create this uh, illusion of muscle so it's not just how big can you get it's this illusion of how big can you be so you could have a guy on stage at 220 pounds you can have a guy on stage at like 285 pounds which is the biggest I was and the guy who's 220 could win just based on the illusion of muscle so his waist is small his shoulders to, to hip ratio is is enormous and his legs have these this big flaring sweep out to the side and you know it's it's you know like i said there's guys on stage there's a new division now that's under 212 pounds and some of these guys if you saw them standing on their own you'd think they're giants right they're you know a lot of them are five foot three and five foot four at 200 pounds but they're absolutely just you know massive amount of muscle on their little frames so they look 
massively muscled. Whereas if you put them beside a guy who is 280, obviously they look small, but on their own, they just look absolutely massive. So it's this illusion of, you know, how big can I present myself to look on stage? And that means like my arms are, you know, 22, 23 inches. My waist is probably, you know, 32 inches. My, sh- my sh- uh, shoulders and chest is probably upwards of 60 inches. So you're getting these kind of uh, V-like tapers that are so, um, you know, comically or, or depicted in the comic books, right? And that, that's ultimately what we're after is we're after this uh, massive obscure look that uh, no one could ever attain. And that's really what we were trying to do is make it so unattainable that it was hopefully inspirational to some people, or if not, it was just entertaining and, and freakish. It's so fascinating that the whole world. So give us an idea of what those meals would entail with a five-hour workout yeah. day. So um, at my biggest, each meal was averaging about 1,000 calories, and I would do six and sometimes seven meals. Um, so, you know, six to 7,000 calories a day. So a typical meal may be, you know, 12 ounces of meat, um, so 75 grams of protein, um, you know, anywhere from 100 to uh, 200 grams of carbs in a meal, uh, and then filling the rest in with fats and fat sources. I was always very aware of like healthy choices. So it was mostly olive oil, avocado, um, maybe some macadamia oil. Occasionally we use some grass fed butter. Um, you know, carb sources were typically like sweet potatoes and white rice. I always try to stay away from grains as much as possible and meat whenever possible. I was choosing wild meats and grass fed meats and, um, you know, whole, whole eggs and really trying to choose the best quality food sources. But it was certainly a larger amount than any human is meant to consume. <laughs> is this like, is, is, mm, you know, I always assume and maybe wrongly so though that, Professional bodybuilding is like certain sports where, you know, everyone's juicing. You're not going to be able to get ahead unless you are. Is that the case really? Or or is it delineated? Are there natural bodybuilding? I mean, is that something that's even tested? How does that work with that? So um, there are definitely natural bodybuilding federations. The, the, topest, the, the highest levels in the world are not tested. So it would be you know, ignorant of me to make an assumption that anyone's testing or so that anyone's using or not. I mean, I, I really – it's not my place to say or make any assumptions. I don't want to take anything away from anybody. Um, I would presume, and uh, you know, myself included, uh, seeing a doctor for testosterone replacement therapy and, and often pushing those levels well beyond what a doctor would advise, right? So if you go into a doc and he's, he's telling you to take X, you're like, okay, well, at X, I know I'm getting this type of result. So let's just try X times two and then maybe try X times four. <laughs> and that's how we pushed it. It's like, you know, it was always trying to stay as close as we could to um, avoiding the gray areas, but there was also, uh, you know, any time that you're competing at the top level in the world, your objective is to win. And when your livelihood depends on your placements, if you know something's going to give you that recovery edge, because that's really what it is, right? People place steroids on a pedestal and go, oh, I'm, I, you know, I could do what you do if you took steroids. And, and my, you know, one of my most famous quotes is, you couldn't do what I do, no matter what you thought, no matter what you think or what you took, you couldn't do what I did. Like <laughs> the level of commitment, the level of obsession, the level of persistence and education, Nobody would touch it. And no matter what you took, I, you know, no amount of budget, no amount of time and resources could you ever do what I did because uh, the level of commitment and, and sacrifice is well beyond, I believe, what any other sport is subjected to just because of the 24-hour day commitment, right? Like if you're a professional athlete, you can still go for a pizza and a beer with your buddies. Or you, you know, if you're a professional MMA fighter, you can still kind of eat what you want within reason, right? Like not taking anything away from anybody. But as a bodybuilder, like trying to get to super physiological amounts of muscle with, you know, 
effectively no body fat is extremely counterintuitive to what your body wants to do. And it takes a lot of suffering. It takes a lot of commitment and, and uh, ultimate discomfort. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I was so committed to being my best. I was so committed to being one of the best in the world that I had tunnel vision. You know, it was a hundred percent commitment. I talked about to somebody about this yesterday. Like if I had 99% commitment, I would have failed. Right. If as soon as there's that one percent of doubt that creeps into your mind, you fail. So without a hundred percent commitment to your end process, you absolutely will not succeed. So uh, that's really you know what this is about. Is like you know steroids are are placed in this in this realm of like oh you can do anything with steroids. It's not the truth. I mean steroids are a recovery aid. If you're able to train at the level that warrants, um, you know, training so hard that you need something outside of yourself to recover, good for you. Like I, I've very few people in the world can actually um, say that they can actually train at that level. There's so many people. Like the number of people that take steroids is astronomical. It's ludicrous. And the number of people that get results from steroids is abysmal. It's tiny because – you know, it, it actually takes a training stimulus. It actually takes, and I wouldn't even say hard work. I don't even know. The so hard I want to interject and ask you this because yeah. I think we're, uh, uh, what I'm hearing is that testosterone, aside from yeah, okay, it can attribute to lean muscle mass, but for your purposes, are is it is it really to get bigger, or is it because as you're getting bigger, you need more to start, you need the recovery of it? I mean, what's or is it a dual purpose? Because it sounds like you're saying that it's used for more of a recovery. Testosterone on its own isn't just going to make you bigger. You need a stimulus. You need a signal. And so it's just amplifying the signal. So some of the, some of the, like your listeners are bright. So some of the, the uh, objectives you'll achieve or some of the, the results you'll see from, from testosterone is improved heart rate variability. So increased um, HRV, so higher amount of ultimately parasympathetic stimulus and less sympathetic stimulus. Uh, you'll see improved protein synthesis, uh, so thereby improved recovery. Maybe you'll see improved insulin sensitivity, so greater ability to increase insulin and carbohydrate uptake and potentially improved glucose uh, uptake. Um, you know, these are the types of physiological symptoms or responses you're going to see from improved testosterone. Um, yeah, that's, you know, the simple way to look at it. And you're just effectively amplifying those signals. Were there any, um, would you say that there were any negative effects to keeping and pushing some of those levels during that time when you're optimizing oneself for competitions and stuff? Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, like anytime you're pushing your body weight to that level. And I think that was maybe my biggest mental barrier was this idea of being 300 pounds was a huge mental block for me. Like I hated it. Like I didn't want to have to keep getting bigger to compete against the guys I was competing against because, you know, I knew to be the best in the world or of the best in the world. These guys are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it becomes this, you know, this mountain that never ends that you're just chasing this, this moving target that you can't hit. So, you know, as a young aspiring bodybuilder, you're so attached to like, Oh, I have to compete against that guy. Oh my goodness. Like what do I have to do to be, to be able to beat him? And, uh, it's, it's terrible. You know, there were certainly some negative things along the way, both psychologically and physically, you know, obviously there's going to be negative implications around steroids. Uh, again, I, I, I honestly believe, and this is not me talking as a bodybuilder, this is me talking as, you know, performance expert that, the, the negative implications of steroids are overstated in the media and, and, and because of the obvious reasons they're trying to get people to not do them. I get it. But like, you know, nobody ever, I, I really don't believe this very mean bill have ever been, uh, 
sick or had ma- massive illness, except when it was massive overuse, right? Like anything, if you're going to overuse Tylenol, there's a, there's negative implications. If you're going to overuse Advil, there's massive negative implications. And those are the type of maybe analog uh, drug abuse levels you'd be looking at. Like if someone abused Advil for 10 years and took 30 of them a day, they're going to get really sick. If, you know, same thing with Tylenol, right? And whereas if you did one, the way it's supposed to be done, the level of, of toxicity is probably nil. Okay, super personal question. You don't have to answer, but I'm just curious. So you're taking higher levels of testosterone. Granted, it's being utilized in ways where if someone wasn't doing a damn thing at the gym, it wouldn't right yield any results. But did you was it an astronomical increase in sex drives and, th- and things like that? Were you like, wow, okay, damn, this stuff really... I mean, what were some other symptomatic things like that? I would just assume that if someone's taking extra testosterone that they would be like 10 times extra sex drive. <laughs> Uh, I think you're right to an extent. It's, it's you know, it's what people always say is, uh, you know, is, is roid rage real? I'm just giving this as an example, <laughs> yeah, no. like an analogy. <laughs> well, it's an analogy. If you're an asshole, it's going to amplify your your assholeness, yep. right? If you have high sex drive to begin with, it's going to amplify that. Uh, so it just is amplified. So if you're not an asshole to begin with, it's probably not going to make you an asshole, right? Um, whereas even though people have these stigmas in their brain, these stereotypes of like, oh, everyone's going to have, they're going to be a bad person, they're going to rage, they're going to you know be beating up their girlfriend, whatever. It's all ridiculous. If you're a huge asshole to begin with, it's going to amplify. Sure. So to answer that question, sure, yeah, you'll definitely notice an increase in in sex drive. I notice women actually get it way more than men because women obviously have very small amounts of testosterone. If if women were to take anabolic steroids, their amplification of their sex drive is crazy. Uh, it's very very high. Um, because obviously you're taking a hormone that they don't usually have and you're amplifying it. Um, so with men, I think it's certainly present, um, but I don't think it's like uncontrollable kind of thing. You know, it's not like you're going to become some crazy sex fiend. It's just going to be like, <laughs> hey, yeah, I'd like to have sex, you know, four times today instead of twice. Whereas, you know, most men in their right. twenties are, are pretty, uh, sexually oriented anyways. Fascinating. All right. Let's talk about, um, when you, you, so you, you get to this goal, but then you're there and you're still, you know, you mentioned earlier, you're still this person. It didn't, it didn't necessarily get you somewhere on a personal level that you thought it might or had looked back and gone, well, something's still missing. What was that? What was it about you, your personality, your character, how you operate in the world that you took a look at and was like, you know what, though, I'm not really happy. Well, I think when you start, like anyone starts a goal, if you start a goal right now to, to create a business or make a few million dollars or build this body, you have this belief in your mind as to what will happen when you achieve it, right? You're like, oh, you know, maybe girls are going to like me more, or maybe I'm going to get more respect, or maybe I'm going to feel more self-confident, or all this fear that lives inside of me is going to be gone. And the reality is none of that is actually the truth. What is the truth is the benefit is in the person you become in the process. Like I said, so if I wasn't aware of trying to build my daily discipline or if I wasn't aware in, in, uh, of trying to build self-confidence along the way and acknowledging that um, the, the person I became every day or subjecting myself to daily discipline and, and daily obstacles and challenges and overcoming those and giving myself a pat on the back and a reward for those things – then I didn't necessarily uh, achieve them or take them in, even though I may have done some really awesome things along the way and put in a tremendous amount of work. So when I get to this end result and call it like walking on the Mr. Olympia stage, um, you know, you walk off and like I said, it's just like making money. You look around and you go, oh, well, I'm not this – you know, super confident, uh, fulfilled person that I dreamed that I would be. So you start questioning your goal, right? You start going, oh, well, geez, well, what's next? And and I was very blessed to achieve my goals at a very young age, relatively young age, 35, when I decided to retire. 
um, so that, you know, it's like most people never achieve their goals in their life. So they don't understand that achievement of that goal is not going to fulfill them the way they hoped. Right. So because I'm 35, I can now take that kind of reflective journey and go, well, what is going to make me fulfilled? And, and I think it's this ultimate realization for most human beings that the ultimate journey goes within I and mean, it's becoming a great human being. It's becoming a loving person. It's, it's shining that light on the world that, you know, all those trials and tribulations that you've accumulated to this point. Now you can take all those lessons and um, hopefully inspire and educate and uh, help people to uh, not have to face those same obstacles and demons that you did along the way, right? Like I chose bodybuilding or I sometimes say bodybuilding chose me, but I chose bodybuilding because I was a very fearful kid and I was, you know, what I would say was lazy and full of fear and really afraid of everything. And uh, bodybuilding allowed me to develop this armor, this external perception that, you know, Mm -hmm. I was strong and I was big and I wasn't afraid of anything when inside, you know, I knew I was this, you know, this seven-year-old kid who was, you know, shaking with terror. Literally, I grew up, I I tell people the stories, I grew up with a speech impediment and learning disability. And and, um, the reason I had that was not because I was stupid, but it was because I was afraid. And so when anytime I would talk to an authority, I would literally sit there shaking uncontrollably inside. And and I wouldn't necessarily let people see on the outside, but that allowed me or, or forced me to stutter. Like I became so afraid of these authorities that I was shaking. So, you know, when I, uh, as I grew up, people just assumed like, oh, he just has a stutter. And then you realize it's, it's more a result of the environment and this internal fear that was developed from some experiences I had as a kid. It's amazing how, uh, you can look at, you know, your buffest on the cover of a muscle mag and go, that must be like one of the most confident dudes ever. Or I would also venture to, or be like, all right, or what's he compensating for? (laughs) And then the the third one would be like, or whatever, neither. He's just into it, (laughs) but still. Usually most people at that level, there's some degree of either you're really, really blessed and, and like God give you a gift, which is definitely present in our sport. Like these people, some people are very gifted and some people are chasing something or some people are running away from something, right? Like there's, I'm sure there's every level within that. Well, what did you do though, to then gain the inner confidence that obviously the outward muscle was essentially subconsciously meant to mask uh, from what you're saying? What did you do then to look at that and go, well, hold on a minute. I mean, so if you weren't at your most confident then, but maybe are now, what was the work between then and now that you did that you had to look at? A great question. I think it was just, um, continuing to, uh, face the obstacles, right? It was the acknowledgement of all that I had to go through along the way to become this person that I did. So if you would have met me when I was, you know, a child or a teenager or even, you know, a a young adult in my late teens, if, if you could have chosen a profession that would have been furthest away from what you would have thought I would be predisposition to, it would be bodybuilding. Like it would be the absolute last thing, right? The the joke is that, you know, I was fat. I was, um, you know, I was basically obese. I had a learning disability and speech impediment. And now like I make my living, you know, on stage in my underwear and as a inspirational speaker (laughs) and educator. So it's, it's literally the furthest thing that you would have assumed that I did. And it's having, you know, looked back and reflected, I, I just started to acknowledge all these things that I overcame. And I was like, you know, I did things to become this person that no one else would be willing to endure. And I truly believe that. Like, I'm sure there's people in the world that work harder than me that faced greater adversity than me, no question. But, um, you know, as far as in my space, uh, in the bodybuilding space, like, uh, you know, again, this is totally subjective, but I had a, I had a really hard 
time. I had I struggled for every ounce of muscle I built. I struggled to lose body fat every time it came down to contest time. You know, I had to suffer more than anyone else. I had to do more work and more exercise, more cardio, and all these things. And and you know, that's why I succeeded because it was so hard. I had to study. I had to understand. I had to research. I had to surround myself with the best people. And that is why I was able to become this uh, newer version of myself. And by no stretch do I claim to be, you know, the smartest, the most evolved, the most self-confident person in the world. You know, I'm still on my journey like everybody else. But um, because I was able to face those um, levels of adversity and come out on the other side and look back and go, wow, like you've come so far. And now I think the big thing is that I'm able to inspire you know, thousands of people on on a consistent basis, if not millions. And that's a powerful place to come from, right? Is, you know, people coming to meet me and and not saying, Hey man, you're my favorite bodybuilder, but saying, Hey man, you changed my life. Uh, that's a very full, very powerful place for me to come at the world from now. Oh, absolutely. And let's, let's get into that in the, the changing of life. I mean, obviously now you're on a different paradigm. You want people to achieve their goals in a healthy way. And I know that that's really true your truly your mission can you go over and talk to us um well you know there is another thing you you have said before where you feel like a lot of people um whether subconscious or not or maybe you feel it's conscious are training to disconnect from their body and mm-hmm. you think it's more of an opportunity to connect with your body which totally resonates with me but explain why you think the former is something people were on that path well, think of everyone you've ever known who goes to the gym to build muscle. You go, you go in there and, and, and I guess human beings in general, right? Like we spend most of our time trying to not feel and trying to not think, right? Because we, we're afraid of what we'll hear and we're afraid of what we'll feel. You know, we get in our car and the radio goes on. We get home and the TV goes on. We, we are constantly, you know, mesmerized by social media. It's this constant attempt to not pay attention to what's going on in our body. And, and the gym is no different, right? You go in and you turn the music as loud as you can. You pull your, you know, your uh, headphones over your ears, you put your hat over your face and you just go into this deep, dark place that's going to allow you to get through this, what you believe to be a hard workout. And, um, you know, you're just trying to quote unquote work hard and oftentimes like work out the demons, man. Like I had a hard day today. I want to go in there and work out the demons and that's fine. That's interesting. Like good for you. That that's interesting. And, but realize what you're anchoring into your nervous system. Every time you do a muscle contraction, every time you're, you're in the gym training, every time you repeat this, now you're bringing back this, this negative anchor, this, this, um, ultimate attempt to disconnect from your body. So you're just like anchoring it deeper and deeper into your nervous system. Whereas every time you're in the gym, moving your body, feeling your body and getting to know your body is just such a, such a beautiful opportunity that allows you to just like, pay attention. And like, you know, the way that I train is is I I advocate, you know, connecting with your muscles to feel what's actually working at every inch of a rep. It's not just mindlessly slinging weights. It's like, Hey, what is actually contracting and how hard is it contracting? And are you sure it's contracting and is something else contributing? It's this opportunity to just feel your body. And even though it's this muscular journey, it's still an attempt to connect, which then translates into, you know, more effective meditation and more effective yoga and this ability to just know where my body is proprioceptively so that my mind and body are now connected as one and not, you know, just disconnected from the neck up. Um, I think it, you know, training ultimately of any kind, right. Of, of any kind when done in a mindful way, can be this beautiful opportunity to uh, synergize your your heart and your head, right? Your mind and your and your and your uh, body. And 
um, I think when people step back and acknowledge that training can be a mindful endeavor rather than a mindless endeavor, uh, it can become a very powerful tool to ultimately creating your best life, right? So a best life for me means, well, I want to be at peace in my mind. I want to be in control of my thoughts. I want to be responsive and not reactive. I want to be you know, in control of every aspect of my life. I want to be the master of my mind and my body. And training, as I say, in, in whatever endeavor that looks like to you, is your greatest opportunity to do that because you're subjecting yourself to something that you don't want to do. Your brain wants to stop. But when you can start to connect your brain and your body and realize like, oh, I don't have to stop. I'm in control here. I can go further. I'm going to do what I set out to do. It's a very empowering place to come at this because you can leave the gym feeling confident, feeling empowered, feeling like, hey, my body feels great. I love my body. And I think loving your body is the greatest vehicle to creating a great life because without loving your, well, when you do love your body, well, you start paying, you're one, more likely to, to love the people around you because it starts, you know, loving the people around you starts with loving you, but then you're also more likely to love your environment because, you know, I'm so aware of my body, it makes me more aware of the environment around me because I'm starting to be like, hey, what's this air that I'm breathing and what's this water that I'm drinking? What's this food that's going into my body? Because I want my body to live and exist and subsist for a long time. So it really makes me more mindful and aware of everything. And I think that translates and radiates outside of my body from within. That's amazing. And I, I can feel that myself because I know you're saying now, like, I mean, we go in there and you're standing in front of the mirror and you're doing bicep curls, whatever. And you're kind of like in there to get it over with. And you're in there to literally, because like, I want the shape and da, 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 I'm going to do my thing. And that's not really, I, I see that disconnect. And then, you know, I got my... Oh, I got my ass handed to me recently because I threw out my back, like hanging up a phone call, like not even doing anything. <laughs> like I literally just, mm -hmm. and I had such horrific sciatica and so much pain. And it, it forced me to look at the minutia small. So when I started to work out again, I, I really had to be extra mindful of everything, but also just, it was an opportunity to do slower. Like you were saying, doing a contraction and really thinking about it and seeing the connection of everything because the the pain that I was exp experiencing was kind of full force. And it was a force back into that. And now that I'm kind of, a, I'm, I'm getting beyond it, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty great. I was at the gym today and it did, it was more of a meditative, interesting mind body situation because I was, you know, in the movement, the way that I was feeling it because I'm coming off of an injury was of a gratitude, appreciation and a level of connectedness, you know, because I just got my, you know, butt kicked. And, um, you know, I took that for granted there probably before that happened. I'm kind of glad it happened to me. It was uh, like a yes. re, you know, it was like a re like, Hey man, don't be messing around here. This is all in one. And one of the exercises that I always feel is most connected, um, that I do. And I think this is where the gym part now I'm like, all right, well that part, I got to have this mindfulness is swimming. And I think because, you know, when I'm, and I swim with a snorkel and a mask, it's very meditative. And also my entire body, like, you know, I mean, I'm kind of forced to be in a very meditative, I'm chilling, I'm looking at the bottom of the pool mm -hmm. and that for me. And I think that's why I love that because that's, what you're saying, I'm, I'm in this connection with my body when I'm swimming and then I go to the gym, I'm lifting the weights. I'm like, what? Ugh. You know? And when you're swimming, you have to relax, you'll sink, right? Like you have to be this like buoyant state, like where you, you know, only the muscles that are propelling motion are contracting and everything else is very relaxed. So I think that's again, a mindful thing. Now, so let me throw this at you. What if when you were training, next time you go in the gym, you closed your eyes and you couldn't use your sight to orient you in space and you had to use what it felt like 
to orient you in space. And you have to learn what's contracting when I do this exercise. And you're like, okay, it, acknowledging that what's contracting is what's going to be moving the weight, right? So if I, if I feel particular things contracting that maybe I don't want to contract like my lower back – oh, okay, well, how do I shift away from the lower back to make something else actually be the prime mover in this exercise? And like the idea of closing your eyes and not having your sight to orient yourself in space forces you to pay attention. It forces you to slow down because otherwise, oh, geez, I'm going to fall over. Like obviously I wouldn't do it when I'm squatting or doing something that's you know kind of dangerous. But like if I'm in an exercise where I'm relatively safe – I want, to, I want to close my eyes and feel and feel what, where's the tension? What feels like it's actually contracting right now? Is the muscle I'm trying to work or I think I'm contract, I think I'm working actually doing the contracting or is it something else? And yeah, that's kind of the first step, right? Is like, one, close your eyes, two, slow down or, or vice versa, right? Like, and, and just feel and feel what's working and how is it working? How hard is it working? Can I make it work harder? Can I make it work less hard? And just allows you to just connect. And, and that goes with every single exercise. And obviously, like I said, not in something that's dynamic or dangerous, like a squat, but, um, again, just so nothing with jumping. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, let's get into the six pillars you have. Of, sure. Yeah. So, um, after having exited professional bodybuilding, like I, I started trying to, uh, so I guess I started teaching people, um, intelligent muscle building principles. And I realized that there's so much more that goes into building muscle than just what happens in the gym and what happens in your muscles. Right. So most people, when they talk about muscle building, they get very myopic around, like I got to work hard and I got to eat more food. And you know, that's the 1970s, eighties and nineties paradigm that is so outdated um, so I wanted to create a framework for people to have, um, you know, kind of this objective approach to building their greatest body. And I, and I call, you know, the six pillars of a lean, healthy and muscular physique. And I think that's most people would say, like, I'd love some variation of lean, healthy and muscular physique. And um, the way I frame it is there's there's basically six things that are <clears> – <throat> You know, you can view them as kind of external inputs. So if I if my body is this avatar that exists in the middle, I have these six external inputs, and these are the things that um, I can influence outside of myself that um, directly uh, create an internal system, create an internal response inside my body that will in some way determine my internal reality. So if I want my internal reality to be lean and muscular, well, I need to shift those external inputs, those six pillars to create this internal reality that I'm after. So the six pillars are uh, training. So in, you know, intelligent muscle building or intelligent training, whatever that training happens to be for you, um, stress management and the autonomic nervous system. So I usually say the autonomic nervous system, but I don't assume that everyone knows what that is. But that's effectively how your body's going to interpret the world around you and all these, these stimuli. And then sleep. Sleep's a massive one that we all talk about and we all know about. And you know, perfecting sleep can be a huge contributing factor to success and failure in any physical endeavor or mental endeavor. And then obviously nutrition is a big one, what goes into my body. And that kind of encompasses, you know, supplementation and, and uh, microbiome optimization and things like that. And, uh, and then uh, mental mastery. So, you know, pillar number five, mental mastery is a big, uh, big thing. If, if your mental game is not strong, the likelihood of you building a lean, healthy muscular physique is Again, limited. And the final one is what I call your environment. And that's just how your body interacts with things like light and air and EMF and ultimately sound and everything that's kind of outside of you that's impacting your biology that most people aren't aware of or don't pay attention to. And those are your six pillars. And uh, if you can learn to impact those, uh, you can build any physique that you're after. And, you know, I, I look at them like levers, right? I don't ever want to 
impact all of them at the same time because they don't know what's working. But I'm like, hey, what's what lever or what what's my bottleneck right now? What's that one single thing holding me back? And then how do I kind of work through that bottleneck by pulling on one of these levers? And you know, all of them can be uh, influenced at one time, or they can you can just do one at a time, depending where you are in your journey. So um, that's how I frame it. How can and you've got so many programs and you've helped so many people. How can we be helped by you if we're not, you know, standing next to you at the gym <laughs> asking you hacks? <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually doing a world tour right now, which is fun. I'm traveling all around the world doing uh, three, doing one day seminars and three day camps. So one day seminar is just an educational seminar for between six and eight hours, depending where we are in the world. And then I do a three day training camp. So if I want to, if someone wants to come and learn how to build their greatest body, there's the, there's that. You can find those at musclecamps.com. Um, and then I'm doing, um, I'm launching a new site, which is called muscleintelligence.com. I've been trying to build this thing for months now, but it's been a bit of a, a slow process. Like, you know, any new website is, uh, that should be done April 1st. Um, there you'll find all my six pillars and uh, everything you need to know to build your greatest body. I've got the muscle intelligence podcast and currently all my stuff exists on, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, benpokolsky.com or MI40 nation. And, and, you know, there's, there's so many different entry points depending where someone is in their journey. So this is not for people that are advanced. This is, I'm trying to build this so that, you know, my big mission in life is to ultimately empower a hundred million men and women with the knowledge and skill set to build their greatest body. Um, so, you know, they can show up and, and be fulfilled and be happy and, and bring their greatest self to the world. Uh, that's the mission. That's the vision. And, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed to be able to travel the world now and, and teach thousands of people on a consistent basis. That is so amazing. Tell us now. So you're not going to the gym five hours a day and doing that regimen. And obviously I'm assuming, my gosh, what a much less stressful, enjoyable life to not be a full-time bodybuilder. Um, yeah, yes and no. I've added some more stresses. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You switch those out for like website concerns, <laughs> podcasting. Um, but tell yeah, us three kids and businesses and yeah. right. But what, so what's what's your yeah. training like now? Like what are you know what's your week like? Are you like you know what sure. I mean, you know give give us a rundown of you know how that's changed. I mean, obviously we know we're not doing it five hours a day, but yeah, way more balanced. Um, so I split my time between yoga and muscle building. So when I'm in the gym, I still like to train hard and I still like to lift heavy. It's just way less frequent. So it's usually three to four times a week, which I think was, you know, kind of attainable for most uh, entrepreneurs. And the times when I'm not in the gym or the days when I'm not in the gym, I'm doing uh, some Ashtanga yoga, which I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, massive benefits for me just for the, you know, the mind control and the parasympathetic inputs to my nervous system. And, um, you know, that, so that's really what it is. And when I'm training in the gym, it's probably 60 to 90 minutes. Um, I, I call them spider monkey workouts because it's often uh, jumping around. I don't like to waste time. So it's, you know, jumping from body part to body part. And I'll usually train, um, you know, typically full upper body, full lower body split. So everything gets done, um, you know, every other day. And uh, again, just objectively trying to stay really strong, stay really, really mindful with my connecting with my body, um, but not with the objective of building muscle anymore. So my diet is extremely different than it was before, following more of a ketogenic slash paleo style diet, um, you know, occasionally having some carbohydrates um, just to support brain function now, support longevity and uh, ultimately want to live a long, healthy life so I can be a cool dad when I'm 100 with my kids. How, yeah, I think you will. And how, how has the ketogenic experiment been for you? Are you, are you kind of flexible in and out kind of, you know, some days not kind of, yeah. Program? So yeah, 
So I did it pretty consistently for um, 60 days the, earlier this year, and uh, I felt great. But what I found that was a problem for me was I found myself chasing numbers. So, you know, I'd, I'd sit down at a meal and I'd eat, you know, my eight ounces of protein and a little bit of uh, fat and a little bit of vegetable and felt great. And then I was like, oh, you know, my fat to protein ratio is a little off. My protein's a little high, so I'm going to go eat some more fats. And I'd be like scavenging my house and try to find more fats. And then I end up overconsuming fats. And it just didn't wouldn't work for me just from a cognitive perspective. So, uh, you know, I just eat more. Um, I probably have more protein now than I should relative to like your typical ketogenic ratios. But I'm, I'm, I always have ketones in my body. And I always feel great. And um, my mental function's great. And when I train really hard, I'll put some carbohydrates in. Or if I'm going out with my kids and I'll eat a sweet potato or something, you know, like I'm not particularly attached to, uh, you know, this zealot approach of like, I have to be a vegan or I have to be a keto or I have to be a carnivore. I'm like, yeah, I'll do experiments. So three to 30 to 60 days experiments to see what it does to my blood levels, just so I can have a, an objective view for my listeners of the podcast. But uh, really it's just, you know, what's, um, what's simple, what makes me feel amazing and what lets me be social with my family. Well, that is incredibly different than probably what you were doing. You said you were still on the healthy path, you know, kind of before where you knew at least about healthy oils. Um, are you still pretty much grain free? You, I mean, I saw you at Paleo FX last year. Don't be misrecept. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, if there's one, if there's one paleo note you could give to someone, it'd be like ditch grains, ditch dairy. I mean, is there something yeah. that yeah, was totally. really noticeable for? Yeah, no. I, all of them. But what was really noticeable <laughs> yeah, for totally you personally? Free. All of them, or was there one in particular? Like, you know what? I thought I could handle this, but damn it, no, I couldn't. All of those, right? Yeah, all of those. <laughs> Uh, well, I still try to play dairy and there's, or, or not, I shouldn't say that I don't now, but I still tried to reintroduce dairy cause I'm pretty stubborn. I'm like, well, but dairy can't be that bad. And it really is. It really is. It's just, it's a quality thing. So what I do notice though, was I spent a lot of time overseas and in Europe, gluten isn't as, isn't as detrimental to me as it is in the U S and Canada. Um, so gluten, uh, when I'm out of the country is again, not, not so bad, but when I'm in the U S I feel terrible when I have gluten grains and, uh, I don't do any dairy anymore. And, um, all those things I just think are, just if it's not helping, why, you know, like, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. And to be honest, even I'm starting to even question my, um, uh, copious vegetable consumption. So I, I, you know, when I left bodybuilding, I really dropped down my protein intake so I could lose some muscle and really drove up my vegetables. And I noticed my inflammatory markers went through the roof and I, it was very, very odd to me. And I think it was, it wasn't necessarily that the vegetables are a, pro- are a problem. It was just the sheer amount. Like when you're consuming, like, massive amounts of just green vegetables, raw vegetables. Like I consumed a lot of vegetables because it was the primary or the bulk of my calories. So, you know, I just was like consuming a ton and I noticed my, my inflammation went up. My body didn't feel that great. Um, so I cut the vegetables down quite a bit and now I keep my protein relatively high and I keep my fat relatively high and, um, I feel great. So, uh, I don't think that, um, you know, any one particular diet is right for everybody. I think it's just a matter of learning what works for you and, uh, learning to have some tools and some skill set to kind of make those decisions as you go based on your goals. Yeah. And at the very least, when you're fat adapted, you're on this, you know, primal path and you're cleaned up, then if you have moments or times or plane flights where you have to be without, you are easily just in ketosis and it's a no brainer versus coming off. Yeah. It's a quick, quick transition. Um, what would you like to leave with our audience or people who are looking to, you know, optimize their muscles and, and physique? Oh, geez. Um, realize that the journey is not 
a physical one, it's a mental one, and it's within. Um, you know, everyone spends a lot of time. I think everyone has to kind of learn this on their own, but everyone spends a lot of time on this external journey, you know, ascending the mountain, uh, the proverbial mountain to accumulate material goods or muscle or whatever happens to be your, your journey. And, um, you know, a wise man will learn from other people's, um, I don't know if it's a mistake, but other people's journeys and realize that the only journey worth pursuing in life is this internal one. And once you've, once you've come to peace with yourself, you know, it's so much easier to create an external reality that you're happy with and that brings you joy and fulfillment and ultimately financial well-being. You know, I think that people try to, um, you know, chase the outer world and hope that the outer world will create an internal reality that they're happy with when it's very important that people realize it goes the opposite way, right? You create your internal world first and the external world will become a reflection of the internal world. So create that love, that joy, that uh, satisfaction and fulfillment inside. And, and you can do that, you know, really easily. And, and I think meditation should be a part of everyone's life is the idea of like, am I going to let the external world create me or am I going to bring myself to the external world and you know you create your extra your internal world with just sitting down in meditation and feel like you're bringing joy and fulfillment and achievement and happiness whatever that is to you back into your nervous system it's not just a conscious thought but it's an attempt to bring those feelings back into your body so you can feel them and now anchor that and take that into every situation you go into and the idea of uh, any situation i walk into whether it be into my work or into my home or into my you know into the gym to train or to yoga all has has like a different physical physiological anchor, right? A different kind of avatar of who I'm going to be when I walk into that scenario. And, um, you know, I can literally become any person I want. I can be the loving, caring dad. I can be the, the driven uh, athlete. I can be the, you know, the strong, uh, powerful businessman, whatever it happens to be, just based on what emotion I decided to bring back into my nervous system prior to walking in. So learning to gain control of your thoughts and your emotions and take that with you into the environment to create the world you want to create. That is such amazing wisdom. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll put all of the links to connect with Ben in our show notes. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you next week. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that 
foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy, stressful day, this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events, such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.